Hey, it's going to take a second for us to get some stuff set up. And so while we set up a few of these things, here's kind of a rundown of what's happening tonight. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, we've been, every announcement for the last couple of weeks, we put up a code where you can send in questions. And so we thought before finals week hits, where y'all are about to be answering a ton of questions, we're going to have a night where we're going to answer your questions. You get to ask the questions. And so there was probably like 75 questions that were submitted, some repeats, some jokes. Uh, one just said dinosaurs, question mark. We can get to that one at another time. So how tonight's going to look is we're going to try and make it as practical as possible. We're going to answer a couple of theological questions, but some of the, like the weighty, maybe quote-unquote controversial ones that you'd really have to like dive into the weeds for, we want to answer those. And, and we, we think they're great questions. And some of those we've actually already answered on our podcast. This is a shameless plug for our podcast. If you haven't listened to it, we, uh, we just finished season one. Um, talked about stuff like abortion, homosexuality, spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, alcohol, purity culture, all those things. And so we're, we're not trying to stay away from the, the tough, controversial, weighty conversations. But in a night like tonight, we're going to try and answer as many questions as we can. We even put a little five-minute timer up there for accountability. We'll hold Josh to that. <laughs> five minutes per question. And so just so you know, you're going to leave tonight feeling like, wow, they didn't, they didn't really get to, to dive in as deep as I would want for that question. And that's because we only have five minutes. That's not the purpose of tonight. Tonight is just to, to remind you guys that in the Christian life, asking questions is a really, really good thing. I grew up in a Christian home where it felt like you couldn't doubt, you couldn't ask questions. That was off limits. If you did, you're a bad Christian. And so don't ever do that. And so we want to have tonight, one, we want you to kind of meet the team, but two, we want tonight to just be the start of a lot of conversations, the start of a lot of, of these, these questions. And so hopefully, whether it's with us, like in the coming weeks or months, or with your friends, or with your mentors, or whoever it is, we hope this starts a lot of good conversations, and we never want you to be scared, or embarrassed, or nervous to ask questions here. This, it's actually a, a really, it's a gift to ask good questions. And so, if you haven't met our college team before, this is it right here. This is, this is our college team. We have Jacob. Graham is our pledge. We have... <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> Joanna, Eileen, yeah. yeah. and then I'm Josh. We have basically most of the United States covered and some of the world uh, on, this, on this panel and on our team. We have Gravit, Arkansas, College Station, Texas. We have Colorado Springs, but also born in India. We have Michigan and California. And so... We have a lot of different backgrounds. Somehow we all ended up in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Go Hogs. Go Hogs. And we love, we all love okay. the Hogs. Oh yeah. Even, even Graham from College Station yes, still loves the I've Hogs. I've been converted. <laughs> and so we're just going to get going because we got a lot, 
a lot to go through tonight. And so the first question, we've actually got this one so many times. This is a repeat question, especially after we did Romans, our Romans 8 series a few weeks ago, is literally is predestination or free will. That's all they said, but I'll expand on it. What does the Bible say? Do, can we believe in both? Should we believe in one? Is God sovereign over all things, or do I have free will to make decisions? Yeah, who, uh, raise your hand if you've like thought of that question or you've like asked somebody that question before. Yeah, my, the uh, first summer, so I came to Christ at the end of my freshman year of college. Uh, I grew up in the church, but I'd never really considered that question. And I somehow, within like a month of beginning to follow Jesus, fell into that topic. Uh, like what is Calvinism, Arminianism, like all of those types there's of things. Some, there's some deep rabbit holes in those. Oh yeah, some yeah, really definitely deep. deep. And so I, and I was by myself, new believer. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? This is crazy. Uh, and so I think part of it from my own experience and then talking with so many people since then as to why that's such a popular question, like you said, a lot of people ask that question, uh, is one, well, it's a really big and apparent thing in scripture. Um, it's kind of all over the place, like just God's providence, his sovereignty, things like that. Uh, but I think another thing that I've had to wrestle with in my own heart as I am trying to, from the text, figure out what do these things mean is think about how much am I okay with not being in control of things? And the more that I have studied through the scriptures and seen this whole narrative play out, how God interacts with his people, I'm like, praise God that he's like chasing us down because that's the whole storyline of the Bible is that we don't want relationship with him. And so you can go to Romans 8, Ephesians 5, uh, Romans 9 kind of talks about it a little bit. John 10, Jesus uh, talks about this in a different type of context as well. Uh, but whenever I think about that, one, one thing to know is that there's a tension between God's providence and his sovereignty over all things, and that's a very good thing. And then also that we have choice and responsibility and we're held accountable for those things. Uh, and so... Yeah, there's, there's, I think there's a tension throughout all of it. Yeah. Well, any, any follow-up thoughts on that? Yeah, I think for somebody like myself, it, it's really difficult in terms of sometimes I feel like, man, I just really need to figure this out. And if I can't figure it out, I feel like, all right, I'm not going to investigate this at all. But kind of what Jacob was saying in, in, in the sense of just being able to be comfortable with that tension, it's an okay place. And so it may feel uncomfortable, but... Um, there's, it, it is evident in scripture that there, there are acts of God's sovereignty, and then it's also responsibility for ourselves. And so, and that's in anything that you see in scripture, whenever you're looking at two different contradictory things is being able to look at those side by side and to be able to engage in that tension. That's good. That's really good. And so a lot of times when we're talking about predestination versus free will, if you haven't taking one of those deep dives, there's like, you can go way down into these rabbit holes. A lot of times we're talking about what is God's role versus our own role in salvation. When it comes to that moment that I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm reconciled to God, how much of that was God and how much of that was me? And what we're trying to show you tonight, I, I think we're in agreement on this one, is that there's a lot of places in the Bible Romans 8, Romans 9, Ephesians 1, John 10, John 17, that whole high priestly prayer like that say God is sovereign over everything. And that unless God calls someone, unless God softens someone's heart, that they, they don't have a chance. 
that God's sovereignty is at play in every single salvation. But then on the other side, we see verses that talk about, like Paul is, is when he's preaching, he's, he's commanding, he's saying, hey, repent and believe. We see that throughout the entire New Testament. We see it throughout the whole book of Acts, this, this response to God's grace, this response to this softening of our hearts. And so there is this free will that exists. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, he gives this kind of like this tension between the two. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I believe it says, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And you're like, yes, God's grace, like his sovereignty. But he says, but I worked harder than everybody else. So you're like, oh, okay, there's a response. There's free will, like there's obedience. And it says, but it was not I but God's grace that is at work within me. And so I, I always go back to that verse of like, there's this tension. And so if you have verses that say, and this is a, to, to, this can apply to a lot of things. If you look through your Bible and you see two things that, that maybe seem to contradict, and you're like, there's verses about this, there's verses about this, you have to be okay walking the tension. You have to be okay saying, okay, I'm wrestling through this, I'm asking questions, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna trust God with, with the mystery and the unknown. So, so much more we can say, but we're gonna move on. Second question, if God loves us and wants us to be with him, why does such an evil place like hell exist for the very people he created? Anyone wanna take a stab? Yeah, that, that's a heavy uh, question. Again, I'm sure most, if not all of us, have uh, thought about that. Uh, Jesus talks about the concept, the idea of hell a lot. Uh, whenever he's doing his ministry, he's proclaiming the gospel of his kingdom, that God's rule and reign is coming in. Uh, and I think one thing that uh, sometimes it's hard for us to realize, just because we're kind of culturally removed, is that idea of this God's kingdom coming. And basically what you have is you have this dichotomy, like God is restoring all things. That's his kingdom. And so you have his kingdom, and then you have everything outside of his kingdom. You have those who are in his kingdom, who are faithful to him. They've repented from rebelling against him. And then you have those who have not. Uh, and so th there will always be an inside the kingdom, outside the kingdom. Whenever Jesus talks about hell um, and throughout the Gospels, uh, a lot of times he's referring to this place outside of Jerusalem. Uh, and it was a place uh, that was known from the Old Testament kingdom of Judah, whenever they were worshiping false gods, they would like sacrifice children and do all this uh, like pagan worship and complete rebellion against God. And it was known as this like really evil place where people did things that were completely outside of God's kingdom. And Jesus constantly points to that place, which is right outside of the city of Jerusalem, and says that is what being outside of God's kingdom is like. Uh, and so there's an element of both personal rejection on our part as people uh, from God, where we don't even want to be in God's kingdom, uh, but then also a justice aspect where God is going to right all wrongs. And for those who have not repented from those wrongs, there's a justice aspect that comes into play there that can be hard to wrestle through. Yeah, that's really good. Ladies, any, anything to add to that? Um, I just want to say Tim Keller wrote this really cool book. It's called A Reason for God, and he addresses this question specifically. And so if y'all don't have that book, you should definitely 
go and get it. Um, but just basically what you said, um, C.S. Lewis has a quote, and I'm not going to be able to quote it because I don't remember it. But essentially he says, <laughs> essentially he says, no one's going to be in hell that um, didn't choose that. And there is no one that didn't desire heaven that doesn't get it, essentially. So. Yeah, that, that's really good. And that, I would point people to Romans 1, even. The, the second half of Romans 1, kind of starting in verse 18, talks about what happens when, when God reveals himself to all humanity. We, but we can even take that as, as an individual. Like when God reveals himself to a person and they take that knowledge, they take that revelation and they say, instead of worshiping the one true God, I'm gonna go ahead and, and worship his creation instead. I'm gonna make idols. I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship the things that he made instead of actually giving him the glory, him the credit. I'm not gonna worship him. I'm gonna worship these things. It says part of what God's wrath is, I know we don't really like the word wrath very much, but part of God's wrath is just allowing them, like allowing them to continue to worship the creation, the created things, instead of the creator who deserves the, the worship and the glory. Go ahead, Graham. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I kind of, this is such a dense, dense question, and I think it might be beneficial to look at it from a different angle. Um, probably many of you here, when you think of this question, there's a person that you have in mind that you really deeply care about and love. And it is really a difficult question in the sense of how do I look at God's love and, but also his sense of justice. And I think, think of like a mosaic picture in terms of, or like a puzzle. You look at one piece and that's an aspect of the puzzle, but it's not the whole picture. And so just an encouragement in the sense of, um, in a question like this, it's healthy to take a step back and to look at who is God and what is his character ultimately. Um, and so I think that's something that's at least helped me wrestle through this of, of like, God genuinely cares about all people and loves all people, wants all people to come and be in a relationship with him. And, hello, 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 oh, there it is. Um, and in response to that, as Christians, that should make um, us be all the more, like, we should want to share that with other people, I think. When we, when we realize that hell is a reality and God is a just God, um, that we have experienced salvation and mercy that we should be all the more willing to go out and share that with people. I think that's the application there. That's good. Uh, keep your mic on because we got another one for you specifically. Uh, since you're our worship leader here, this question, I, I, thought of, I thought of you, I want to hear your thoughts. It says, this question came in and said, if music, whether that's secular or sacred, so like whether that's worship music or just my Spotify rap 2020 to like, if music makes us feel certain emotions, how do I know that the emotions I feel in worship is actually the Holy Spirit and not just the way that music is played? Mm, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'm not going to. Um, you, have, you have five minutes. I have five minutes. Okay. Um, okay. I think first off, I would say that Emotions are not bad. Like throughout scripture, we see people worshiping 
the Lord in all these different emotional ways. There's joy. Um, the Psalms are a great example of David bringing his full spectrum of emotions to the Lord, whether it's grief, anger, like there's so much emotion there. People falling prostrate on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Like if we don't have an emotional reaction to the presence of the Lord, then I think we're misunderstanding how big and how awesome God is. And so I think a good understanding of who God is does call for an emotional reaction because the Lord created us with those emotions um, and we are meant to express them um, and meant to express them towards him. And so I really do think that emotions um, are a big part of how we worship. And so we shouldn't shy away from those. Um, I will say that there are two pitfalls. There's a spectrum. And once we get too far on one end of the spectrum, it gets unhealthy. Um, if we're too far in the, I'm not going to like feel my emotions. I just want to sit here and intellectually engage in truth. Um, truth without emotion, I think, is just kind of dead orthodoxy going through the emotion, like going through the motions. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we have, I just want to feel my emotions and I don't care whether or not that's actually connected to truth or not. That is, is really shallow and can take us places that we shouldn't be going. So those are the two ends of the spectrum that we shouldn't be falling into. But I really think that if we are teaching, as a worship leader, I'll say, as a worship leader, my job is to make sure that what I'm teaching y'all through worship and the songs that we sing and the lyrics that we are, are memorizing and keeping on our hearts are scriptural truth. Um, and we have to make sure that we're having an emotional reaction to things that are truth and nothing but the truth. And so I think there should be kind of a uniting of those two ideas there in worship. But emotion is there and is there for a good reason. So, Yeah, that's well said. The, the one thing I would add to, I really like the, the two pitfalls that you said. The one thing that I would add to that is that there's probably going to be seasons, if you're anything like me, and we're going we're gonna to actually talk about uh, one of these seasons in, in, a, in a second here, but you might have seasons in your Christian life where like you, you don't feel those same emotions. You don't have those like Holy Spirit tingles during words, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Like you don't feel the same way that you used to feel. And a lot of times you can get caught in the trap of, oh, I, I must be doing something wrong. Like I must be failing. Like there must be something. And, and I just want, want to encourage you and, and let you know that there are going to be seasons that you don't have those, those same feelings. And, and God still wants us to respond, that God still wants us to worship. God still wants us to reach out to him and, and, and maybe even connect with him in different ways. I, I do agree in, in the sense of like, God commands our emotions. He commands us to be joyful. Like he, command, he commands our emotions all throughout the Bible, but we have to be careful not to, to worship those emotions and only connect those emotions with with God 50 seconds anything to add to that yeah um I feel like I mean even just being real with y'all like over the past like couple weeks I've kind of been in a season like that um nothing like 
like really hard, but just like I don't feel as connected uh, as I often do, especially like within worship. And I've had to remember that exact thing that just because I'm not feeling this thing doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not working in my life, that I'm not actually worshiping God, uh, and that a probably more accurate picture of am I being faithful to Jesus is the fruits of my life, the, the things that I'm doing rather than just what I'm feeling. So I've clung to that a lot over the past like two weeks. That's good. So we're going to transition a little bit. Those are some of the theological ones. I think a lot of the questions that came in were very, very practical, like very, very like, hey, I'm in this situation. I need help. Or I'm faced with these decisions. I need help. Or relationship stuff or you name it. And so I, th- I figured we spend the majority of our time tonight talking about the- these practical questions. And the first one is kind of vague. So feel free to take it wherever you want. But the question I think applies to probably most people in this room in one, in one way or another, it's how do we discern God's will for our lives, our relationships, and our careers? Any thoughts? Where are my seniors at? Raise your hand. Yeah, I know y'all are feeling that right now. I know most of you guys are, but I, my heart goes out to you guys. Um, Honestly, I think the greatest way that we can discern the Lord's will for our life is reading his word and getting to know him. Um, I, I like to think of it this way. If I text my friend Carrie and say, hey, you want canes? I don't need to ask Carrie what she wants from canes because I know she wants a three piece with butter on both sides of the bread and a Dr. Pepper because I've spent time with her and I know what she desires and I know what her desire is for different circumstances. And so the best way that we can know what the Lord wants for us is to spend time getting to know him and getting to know the Lord's desires. And then I think, honestly, if we're stuck between two options and they could both be really great and we're, we've been prayerful about it and we've been open-handed about it, I think asking yourself what's going to be the most glorifying to the Lord and what has the Lord gifted me in and what passions do I have and how could I use those? And if they're, I mean, they seem to be weighted equally, honestly, at that point, I say, all right, Lord, I'm just going to start walking in this direction. If you don't want me to go that way, you just shut the door. And if you want it, if you don't want me going there, you make it really obvious. And that would be very great. Thank you. And that's how I make every decision in my life. I just, that's good. That really explains a lot about you. So thank you for sharing that. I usually just either flip a coin. I've got a magic eight ball at home. And so that's, that's what brought me from Los Angeles to Arkansas. I just like kept like doing the little magic eight ball, flipping a coin. Another time we will have to talk about why casting lots doesn't exist still. But that does help a little bit with this question is that, but like in the Old Testament, followers of Yahweh used to like roll dice. Like, well, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And they'd roll, they'd roll the dice or they'd look at his word and say, okay, here's what he's commanded of us. And they do that. When that practice stopped was something called Pentecost. If, if, if you look at Acts 2 on Pentecost, all believers received the Holy Spirit. And so the presence of God was now like with believers in every situation. And so instead of having to to roll dice or flip a coin of like, what should I do? What does God want me to do? They were able to just ask the Holy Spirit and and pray and read his word and say, okay, 
<clears throat> what's the character of God? Does this line up with God's character? And we actually see when it talks about the will of God a lot in the New Testament, it's kind of stuff about obedience. Like 1 Thessalonians says, this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. Talks about fleeing from sexual immorality. Talks about obeying, obeying what God has commanded. Ultimately, that's, when we talk about God's will, that's what he wants of your life. That's what he wants you to do. But I feel like the heart of the question is more of like, do I date this person or this person? Do I take a job in the business world or in ministry? Do I go to grad school or do I move to Dallas? And, and I, I love what you said. I think in those situations, you, you discern, you bring community in, you, you read your Bible, you pray. And then if at the end of the day, you're like, either of these could be like, could be glorifying to God, then make a choice and, and do it with confidence and then go and be faithful to God with your decision. Like, if it's like, oh, should I move to Dallas or move to Nashville? Well, make the decision and then go be faithful. And you can be doing the will of God in Dallas. You can be doing the will of God in Nashville. You can be doing the will of God married to that person or that person or in this job or that job or grad school or not. And so the will of God is a lot more about obedience to who he is. Yeah, that's, um, uh, whenever I think about that question, even for myself, I oftentimes realize it's a really uh, modern question. Uh, we are blessed with the freedom and the privilege to ask that question because, man, we have so much like opportunity and freedom to choose all these things. Most of the world, even right now, but especially in the New Testament, you don't have options like that. Like, you're just born into a circumstance and you're called to be faithful to God. And whenever I think about that and how that's like really like the core and the lens as to which we can think about how do I follow God's will for my life, uh, it kind of gives a lot of freedom. It's just like you're saying, if I'm being faithful to God in my daily living and whenever I need to make decision, seek his uh, wisdom via the Holy Spirit, just asking him, uh, he's not gonna let you just like run off the rails and go do something crazy because it's a call to just be faithful with your general day-to-day -day living. That's really good. And so a lot of this question comes with when it comes to relationships. But then some of y'all are out here like, I mean, I wish I had a choice in relationships. I'm like as single as it gets. And so the question that came in over and over again, I think it's a great question. How do I practice contentment in singleness? I'm gonna turn this over to my single people. Thanks. It's a gift. Singleness is a gift. That wasn't a diss. Hey, don't laugh. Don't laugh. No. Um, this is a really good question. I mean, just the fact that you're asking this, how to be content in singleness, um, it shows that you truly want to, to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. Um, and first, I just want to affirm that the desire for marriage is a good thing. Um, it's a really good thing. Um, but a huge part of my story has been singleness. And um, something that I think about uh, is, is Psalm 145. It says, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. And then verse 16 says, you open your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And so it says in scripture, even in John 6, 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so looking at that, it's like, well, how do I process that in the context of being fulfilled in life? And um, a, lot of, a lot of us, what, what comes to mind when we think of marriage is the sense of being known and understood, valued, accepted, worthy. 
And those are, those are much deeper emotions. And if we believe in a God who created the intrinsic essence of us that has given us life, wouldn't he be able to fulfill those desires in himself? Not to nullify the fact that you have a desire for marriage. That's a perfectly good thing. But Christ in itself, Jesus in himself is satisfying. Um, and, that, and, and, and that's a wonderful journey. And I, I think in, in the sense of inviting him in, into those places, inviting him into those emotions of, Lord, man, I just want to be loved right now. I want to be cared for, accepted. Um, and he really does meet you in those places. And the last thing I'll add is really have fun in the season of singleness. I mean, I think a lot of people think that it's like a drag. It's not. You get to do a lot of incredible things. Go overseas. Go on mission trips. Go travel with people. Go engage in relationships with friends and disciple people. I mean, you have so much freedom and flexibility. I mean, it's unbelievable. So That was good. That was good. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I have my days where I'm feeling good. I'm like, hey, I, I don't need anybody. I, I'm doing well. And then I have my days where I'm like, Lord, I just want to be married. And I graduated college and I didn't date anybody. And I just failed at life right then and there. Um, that is not true. And I want you to know that everything Graham just said is very true. And on the days when you're feeling down, you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I know what your word says. Help me believe it because I do not believe it right now. And the funny thing is the Lord already knows. And so when you go to him, it's nothing new. So um, there's that. Also, y'all surround yourself with great community. I mean, yes, you're gonna feel lonely in, in your bag on a Friday night if you're sitting there watching Netflix by yourself, but go and... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're, this is you're a in discussion your bag. We've been having. No, we've had this conversation. I That's like, where I'm from. <laughs> when you say you're in your bag, it means you're sad. I'm just letting you guys know that. I don't know what it is down here. I think in your bag is like I'm like flourishing. Okay, like, I'm, this is it. That's like, not the context. I've never heard I'm of this before. Right now. Is there anyway. a rap song that we can turn to to, to find a definition? <laughs> anyway, anyway, y'all find some solid friends. Be in community. Don't seclude yourself. Um, because just because you're not in a relationship does not mean that you can't have fun and that your life is on hold. That's really good. And sometimes you're just going to be in your bag and that might be good and that might not be. And we're not really sure. Y'all come to me after this. Yeah. Let me know how you've heard it said. Well, the, la the last thing, the last thing I, I will say is I, I, I want to apologize because I really do think the church, especially in America, has done a, a, a really like a huge disservice to, to y'all. Like, in, in making you think that getting married or being in a relationship is a part of the goal of the Christian life. And in fact, Paul would say the opposite. He would say, if you want to be the most fruitful, if you want to do the most ministry, if you want to have the most opportunities, if you want to be the most like Jesus, you remain single like, like Paul was and like Jesus was. He's like, and, and we've kind of taken that and we've, we've flipped that and said, and said if you want to be a varsity Christian, like a real Christian, well, you got to be, you got to be married. You got to like be in a relationship and then you can actually be doing like the, the real Christian stuff. And that's not true. So could talk a lot more about that, but we won't. Moving on. How does God want us to approach non-believers and challenge them on their sins? 
It's a good one. That's probably my favorite question. Um, I think... You love challenging non-believers on their sin. I know. You're just out there calling everybody (laughs) out. Extremely confrontational. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. I think (laughs) um, we can do a lot of harm when we go to someone who's not a Christian and expect them to act like a Christian. If we are going to someone and you know, calling them out on their sin and saying, oh my gosh, like you're getting hammered every other night. Like, how dare you? And they're not a Christian. Y'all, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not going to be convicted. That's, that's not, and that's not a standard or an expectation that we should be putting on them. What we should be doing is sharing Jesus with them and, and telling them about him and making that the priority. Um, now, if you have someone in your life who claims to be a Christian, then yeah, I would hold that person to the standards of what it means to follow Jesus. But otherwise, I think we're doing a lot of harm when we are just casting out like, oh my gosh, you should be doing so much better. Why aren't you going to church every Sunday? And why are you sleeping with your boyfriend? And why are you looking at porn and blah, blah, blah? If, if that's not a worldview that they hold. And so our priority should just be to, to bring Jesus to them. It's not our job to do the job of the Holy Spirit. Like that's not something that we don't know people's hearts like he does. And so to step into a situation, especially with someone that we don't have much of a relationship with and to call them out in something we see in their lives. Like I am a Christian, but if someone I didn't know came up to me and was like, I hate this thing that you just did earlier. And I'm like, what's your name? Like, you know, like there's no, there's not a relationship there for them, the person you're criticizing to um, know that it's coming from a loving place. But, cause you have to have a relationship to know that they need to experience love from you before they can hear criticism and take it well, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, I feel like Jesus, whenever you read the gospels, does that very well. You see Jesus, he interacts with two people, interacts with religious people who are claiming to be God's people and then they're acting like they're not, and he really gets after them. But then he's interacting a lot with people who don't even claim to be God's people oftentimes. Uh, and what he does is he engages with them in some type of relationship. And he, he basically lays out, hey, this is what life could be like, this abundant life that I'm coming to offer you, if you follow me, if you kind of join this kingdom. And lets them tangibly see that. And that's, that's basically how he always challenges people who are non-believers in their sin. It's a calling to something even better. Whereas somebody who's claiming, like, like you said, to be a people of God, always going to come more harsh on that. So I think following that model, it's always, hey, like, I mess up on that too. But I, I'm in this kingdom. I, I'm in this experience with Jesus. This is a way better way to live. And, and Paul actually picks up right where Jesus left off. If you, if you look through Paul's like sermons in, in the book of Acts, and even Peter's sermons and even like Stephen's sermon, like you look at Paul's and Peter's sermons to, to non-believers, what, what you see is over and over and over again about the resurrection of Jesus. Here is who Jesus is. Here is what actually happened. Here is what that means for you. Here's the, the free gift that's being offered to you. And that's what the majority of his sermons are about. And then when you get to his letters, which are written to actual churches, 
actual people that he has relationships with, like you said, Joanna, like people trying to follow Jesus, that's when Paul starts calling out sin. That's when Paul starts to say, hey, we've committed to the standard of, of God. We've committed to follow Jesus. We've committed to sanctification and holiness. And here's where I see you guys out of line. And so in love, I'm gonna call you out on these things. But he's not doing that to the, the non-believer. He's not doing that to the pagans. He's not doing that like when he's preaching to, to unbelievers. He, he's calling out idols for some of them and saying, hey, there's actually, there is a, you're worshiping this thing. Hey, there's a, there's a better way. And I think there's an art to that. I think we can do that when we share the gospel, kind of point people to this better way. But we, we shouldn't be around just kind of Bible thumping everyone of like, you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Like, stop doing this. Stop doing that. We should care a lot more about our sin in our life than we do about the sins of, of non-believers. So, um, for sake of time, this is actually our last question because I want to kind of hear like a minute from each of y'all. But I thought this was a good one to kind of end on. What do you think is the biggest problem or challenge for college students following Jesus in Northwest Arkansas? What's the biggest problem or challenge that college students are facing following Jesus? Yeah, and uh, you guys have probably experienced this. In Northwest Arkansas, it is a really unique and cool bubble of a lot of very committed followers of Jesus doing really awesome ministry things. There's amazing churches all over the place. Uh, most of everybody that comes either to JBU or the U of A or um, wherever you're doing right now are going to be from more Bible Belt culture, and so you're going to have that foundation of church. Uh, and I think that plays a big part into one of the biggest challenges. I know it was for me, and I'm going to say for y'all right now in college in Northwest Arkansas, because as you're going through college, and then even after you get out, but specifically whenever you're in college, there's going to be a ton of really awesome opportunities that you can get involved in. Trips to go on overseas, ways to get plugged into your church or whatever campus ministry you might be involved in. And I mean, you just pick from so many. And it can be very, very easy to just start plugging in to a bunch of those things and then point to those things as the reason why you're like, hey, look, I'm a Christian. I do these things. And slowly, or even now, right off the beginning, every other part of your life does not look like a follower of Jesus. You look much more like the people that you're friends with who are not following Jesus. The only difference is you do a lot of these really good opportunities because that's what's cool and that's, what some, that's what's cool and that's what some of your friends are doing. Uh, and I think a big part of that is just our culture. And it's one of the more subtle deceptions that I had to work through in college to, to think through what am I placing that, that hope in, that identity, and is my life actually matching up with following Jesus, not just doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's good, Graham. Um, I think the thing that I experienced most in college and uh, that's really, really challenging is kind of this subtle thing of self-reliance, self-dependence, uh, self-absorption, really pride. And what I mean by that is there's, there's this uh, notion that, man, if I can just will myself, if I can perform, I can achieve what I want to do. And my, my dreams create my, my own vision, my own reality in life. And what it does is it puts this heavy weight 
and pressure for you to perform, to succeed. And when you don't feel like you're, you're measuring up or hitting that standard, I mean, it's so easy to crumble because all of a sudden you're dealing with a, the bi- a big identity question, a worth question. And, um, and then in order to kind of cope with that, try to portray yourself in different, different ways. And, and, and it really, all of a sudden, it just is this uh, restless, heavy thing. And so I think um, coming to this place of dependence on the Lord, surrender, trust, and faith, not that work isn't, isn't um, work, work is a bad thing, but just, just almost like trust, reliance, surrender the Lord. Well, Jacob took mine, but um, I guess one thing that I really struggled with when I was in college was, and I went to Christian school and to JBU down the road. Any JBU people in here? Woo. It's fine. It's okay. Um, <laughs> there's not many. Go JBU. Um, What's go y'all's JBU. mascot? Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's a music major, so. <laughs> Golden Eagles. There it is. Wow. But yeah, I went to Christian school and so was surrounded by, again, a lot of like really good opportunities to get plugged in, like with a small group on campus or a worship team. So there was just all these things that I was doing and everyone around me, I don't want to say everyone, every single person that went to JBU was a Christian, um, but the majority of people that I was surrounded with were Christians, and I found myself comparing myself to a lot of how they live their faith out. They're more joyful than me. They spend more time in the Word than I do. Um, they can, like, quote scripture and know all the references, and I don't. And um, so I think that was, that was the big thing for me, that I just was like, am I a Christian? Like, I'm not a Christian. I can't do all these things. Like, I don't do all those things. Um, and I think it really did, um, I really just had to, like, take a step back and say, like, hey, that's not what this is about. Like, I, my faith shouldn't, my faith doesn't look like these other people's faith, but it's not, I don't have to look like that. Like there's, there's no reason, I think like judging, there's no reason for me to be able to judge the character of someone else's heart and put myself up against that and think that I know what's going on in their heart. And that was really disheartening for me to try to do that for a long time, but it was really good and took a huge weight off my shoulders, I think, to stop doing that and just trust the Lord had me and that whatever season I was at in my life, whether it was a mountaintop where I spent a lot of time with the Lord or a season of doubt, that that my relationship with the Lord was still good and that I can't lose my salvation, that he is pursuing me and that I can bring all those doubts, even the hard seasons to him. Um, And it shouldn't be an embarrassing thing to be vulnerable with other people um, in the seasons that I'm struggling because community is really important and is there for a reason. And so not comparing my faith to, to other people's faith. That was a big one for me. Mm, that's good. I think um, a lot of people in this room um, have been raised in the church. And I think from what I've heard, um, not a lot of people have felt the freedom to, to have doubts. Um, and not a lot of people have felt the freedom to ask questions. And so with this 
campus and, and with this part of Arkansas getting more and more secular, I feel like these are things that you guys are going to be experiencing when you have coworkers or when you have classmates who ask you questions about your faith. And um, my worry is that there wouldn't be, um, that, that this would be a time where you don't know how to navigate. Okay, well, I have this question. What's a healthy way to go about the the doubt or the things that I'm feeling about it? And so um, my desire is that y'all would find someone that you can trust and find someone that is so solid in their faith that you can look up to and go to them with those questions and be real with them. Because if we're, if we are, well, be real. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. Oh my gosh. I hate that I just did that. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> um, but yeah, just find, just find those people that you trust that are really solid and um, learn how to go to the Bible and read it responsibly for what it is. And um, don't just you know, deflect, reflect people's questions. De- deflect, is that deflect. it? Deflect, thank you. Don't deflect and like ignore if someone has a pressing question about Christianity. Like really take that and dig into it and say, hey, you know, like that's a really good question. Like let's talk about it together. And so, yeah. That's good. The last thing I'll say, <clears throat> the thing that I've seen the most prevalent, I didn't grow up in the Bible Belt. Um, so the thing I've seen over and over moving, moving out here, and I've even seen it in my own life, like creep in and more and more is this desire for comfort, specifically in Christianity, that there's, there's this desire to, to do the, the Jesus thing, to go to church, to be, to be involved in as many extracurricular Christian activities as possible, but to do it under this umbrella of I'm going to pers- pursue comfort in everything else. And so I'm going to still pursue the same lifestyle that I would have had if I wasn't a Christian, but then I'm going to do these Christian things. And, and that makes me really, really nervous because the Bible tells a completely different story. In the, and Jesus calls us to a completely different life, a life of, of sacrifice, a life of giving, a life of, of sometimes suffering and, and persecution. And, and I feel like, and I don't know if you guys feel this or not, I feel like we try to pursue comfort every time that we can. And I think that's done a tremendous disservice to us, like to the people in this room, to Christians in in the Bible Belt. And I think God wants to break us out of that. I think he wants to give us good things and we can talk more about what that looks like. But but I think if we continue to only pursue things that, that bring us comfort, then the life that God has for us, we'll, we'll never find it. And we'll settle for a life that's way cheaper and way less satisfying and fulfilling. And so as the, as the band comes back up and as we continue to worship together and, and close out this semester, um, I just want to encourage you guys. I just want to remind you that, that the team you see right here, like we're, we're here for you. We, we truly and genuinely love you guys. And so if this is just the beginning of asking questions and, and wrestling with doubts and, and bringing those things out into the open, then tonight was worth it. And so please don't hesitate in the next couple of weeks over break when you get back to come to us, to, to find people that you trust, to talk about your doubts uh, and, and to really wrestle with these things. And, and I promise you that you'll only grow because of it.
And so we're gonna continue to worship. I wanna pray for us. Father, we, we thank you that you're not afraid of our questions, that you're not afraid of our, of our doubts, you're not afraid of our fears, our insecurities, our, our anxieties, but that, that you want us to bring them to you, that there's an open door at all times. And so I pray that this room would be filled with men and women who, who would come to you in, in vulnerability, in honesty, in authenticity, and that they would trust you with, with the, the things that, that they're wrestling with. They trust you with their doubts and anxieties, that they trust you with these really hard questions and that you would meet them where they're at. And so we, we give our lives to you and we give tonight to you and pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.